0: Okay part of what I want to share this morning is just my, my personal testimony and, and uh, when my first wife passed away, Elaine, who I was married to for almost 29 years and, and God saw fit to take her home at, at 51 years of age um, took her took her home and at that time it was a very, very intense time in, in my life and that's when God through a whole bunch of circumstances, put me here in the Berkshires because even back then, Elaine and I felt like this was part of our call to be here. And of course, uh, that was God's plan was something different for her, but still the same for me. And then, through a, a process of different things that had happened, God put me in contact with Jean. Here in the Berkshires, and at the time, it was very, very interesting. I, I was grieving intensely you know for for my wife, knowing that she was in heaven, knowing that she wasn't going to experience the, the pain of cancer and that struggle we had for six years, knowing that and, and uh, just happy in that sense, but just missing her unbelievably, never thinking that. I could ever love another woman like that or another woman would ever love me like that. That's when God put me in contact with Gene through a series of things and, and people orchestrating these things under, which I know is at this time and, and uh, began to see was God's guidance. And then uh, at the same time I'm grieving. It was such a strange time for me because I'm grieving. And as far as I was concerned, she, Helene is still my wife in heaven. Yet at that very time, he starts giving me thoughts and feelings towards Gene. And that was an intense time for me, an intense struggle. And it was just a very intense time uh, for me you know, at that particular time. and And so... Here I am, I would be at the Starbucks and I lived in Pittsfield, had an apartment in Pittsfield on South Street and I would go to the Starbucks every morning and I'd do my studying there and I would spend three or four hours there, minimum three or four hours in the Word and that's when God did something very unique in my life. He did it very uniquely and he that was the first time he's ever done it like that and he's never done it since. But he had me turned right in the middle of studying and had me turn to Luke, the fourth chapter. And remember, at this time, I still have, still grieving for Elaine, but really the intensity of God's love that he was putting in my heart for Gene. That's what was going on. And he had me turn to Luke, the fourth chapter and he had me read uh, verses uh, 25 uh, and 26. And Luke 4:25. 25, this is what he told me. He said, but I tell you, and he's speaking to me using these scriptures. He said, I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. Elijah, and Elias here. When the heaven was shut up three and a half years. When great famine was throughout the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Sarapta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. That's what he, he made it clear that this, this was of him by using those scriptures. And I want you to see with me, he said, that there was a great famine there. And God, back in the day, and I know Barbara can attest to this too that we just felt like God was gonna do a big work here. And this is going back, I wanna say 12 years ago or, or, or more, something something around then. And that there was a great famine here for the word of God. Because we know based upon Amos, and I'll turn there in Amos, the eighth chapter, and uh, just turn there and read this. And, We'll see this this truth, and it's and we're seeing a lot of it even right now. But in Amos, the eighth chapter, in the 11th verse, it says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. Not all those material things, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Then it says, in verse twelve, and they will wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east. They will run to and fro, to seek the word of the Lord, and they will not find it. So again, we see there there was a famine in Luke the fourth chapter, in verses twenty-four. In verse twenty-four, there was a great famine, and and at this time for me, this is my struggle that's going on. Then to confirm it, and this is over a period of months, to confirm this, then he had me turn, and he's, this is what he's never had me do before, never done before, to, to break up the word of God the way that he did here. And he used Acts, the 10th chapter, to do that. And Peter, and this is where he had, had me read, you can, Acts, the 10th chapter, In verse 5 it says, and now, and, how, and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, Simon Peter. He's living, he, he's staying at the house of one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He will tell you what you ought to do. So God said, he will tell you what, he, what you ought to do. Then he had me stop and go right to there, and you can fill in all this. And then in verse 14, But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Not so. For I have never eaten anything, anything that is common or unclean. So God's telling him you to go and tell, talk to these people and tell them this, these things. And Peter said, in response to God, no. <laughs> We've never said that, right? No. <laughs> And the voice spoke unto him in verse 15 again the second time. What God has cleansed, you're not to call common. What God's telling you what to do, you're to do it. And then in verse 20, and he's breaking up all these scriptures and putting one thought in my mind. And then he said, arise therefore and get you down and go with them doubting nothing. Don't you doubt, this is my voice, I told you to go. I told you it's this widow. I told you there's a famine there. I told you to go. And what I tell you is very pure and clean. It's not unclean. Now arise therefore, in verse 20, get you down and go with them, nothing doubting, for I have sent them, meaning I've prepared them. They're there ready to receive. (laughs) And then, You you read the rest of that and you, you will see to follow that through the rest of the chapter all the way down to even verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons and he's giving them this message. And he said to Peter in verse 26, stand up, get up. And verse 28, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. No one is unfit for the message. And you're to go, and you go to a specific place. So God sends us to a specific place. It's not our choice, it's his. No matter what the circumstances or situations are, and the circumstances and the situations, when we look at them by sight, if it's not him that directs us, even in those circumstances or situations, we make them the guide instead of God and so we can see what happens there he said, he, he said to do that and God sent him to this particular man Cornelius and he said your prayer is heard and I hear it and so this is uh, this is what happened with me with this whole thing of even to get here at this time I didn't think I would get here this way and again Barbara can attest to this because when we first were talking about this, this involved Elaine and Barbara and we thought, you know, we're all coming to this place and this is what God's going to do. And of course, God had a plan and, you know, up until that particular time, he had that plan and and, uh, we even see here in Acts the 10th chapter, we said, It says here, they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that fears God, reverences him, has a good report of all the others, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for you into his house and to hear words of you, (laughs) to hear your words. And so it says here, Cornelius waited for them. And he called together his kinsmen and near friends. So, God has a message in a particular place for certain individuals. He gives that to individuals, and they're to call their friends and draw them uh, that are here to that place. And so, all of that is going on in my life. And I thought it was very interesting there. And then he had me turn this morning. With that thought with those thoughts that I just had there, he had me turn to Second Kings. See, God can only do these things. Who could who could keep up and put together the scriptures but him? In second Kings the fifth chapter, and we're gonna learn from these types and we do. In second Kings the fifth chapter, verse one it says, Now Naaman or Naaman, as we would say, Captain of the host of the king of Syria, he was a great man, with his master, in, in front of his master, his master saw him that, and saw that he was honorable, and you know that he was honorable, and that he was gracious. That's literally what it says. Because by him the Lord had given him, given deliverance into Syria. He was a mighty man in valour. Look at, but he was also, it says, a leper. He was a leper. We know what leprosy, that speaks of sin, right? He was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies. And we're going to see if you look at the rest of, and this is why God had me turn here. (laughs) Nothing, Nothing makes any sense. The scriptures make absolutely no sense to us in the natural. That's because they're supernatural. And God gives us the supernatural counsel. He knows what he's doing. But if we go back to Luke, the fourth chapter, we're going to look at verse 27, and this is where he had me go back here. And it all correlates with everything. In Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 27, it says, And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So now we're going back to that story And this is where we're reading it here. He was a leper. And verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Now, as we can see, it's Naaman, but we say Naaman, Naaman's wife. And verse 3, And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he would recover him of his leprosy. Notice that? He he would do that. He would recover him from his leprosy. Verse 4, it says, And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to... Go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto you, behold, I have, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may recover him of his leprosy. I want you to know. Now keep in mind, this king thinks highly of Naaman. He sees his life. He's very gracious, but he has leprosy. He has leprosy. Verse 7, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? In my God? See, sometimes we think, we think when God puts people in our life that, that somehow we're supposed to do something <laughs> instead of just being a vessel, being obedient to the word and just receiving it. And that's what this king was. He was thinking now that God was putting a responsibility on himself which only God could fill. You remember that in, in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. Do you remember the story of Joseph and how his brothers were kept alive and were fed for 17 years, 17 years under jo- with Joseph, who was second in command to, to the Pharaoh of Egypt, and every need they had was met. But they felt like when the father died, that somehow that Joseph was going to exact his revenge on him on, on them, for what they did to him. right? And that's when, that's when uh, Joseph said to his brothers, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? You, you may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. See, this king says this, and it came to pass in 2 Kings 5-7, the king of Israel, after he had read the letter, the letter, now what did the letter say? God was going to send a prophet and through that prophet he was going to do a work. But the king read the letter. How did he read it? He read it in the natural. Then it became something that he felt that he had to do. He rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? We know that in 1 Samuel 2, verse, verse 6. God kills and he makes alive. Am I God to kill and make alive that this man... Descend unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. Do you see? Did he read the word the right way? No, he didn't. No. That's what Christians can do. They can read it the wrong way. Am I, am I to recover a man of his leprosy? Where, wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. What's, what's God doing? What is, he th- what is God doing? He's putting this responsibility on me. No, he's not. No, he isn't. Now, here's, here's where we see this in verse 8. And it was so when Elijah, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Why did you rent your clothes? Come to me now. Tell him to come to me now, and he'll know that there is a prophet. There is a man of God in Israel. So Naaman came with his horse, horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elijah. And Elijah sent a messenger unto him. Now listen to this. He sent a messenger unto him. Elijah sent a messenger to him. Saying, go and wash in Jordan seven times. He's telling Naaman to do this. Remember, we know what the Jordan speaks of, don't we? We, as God has taught us in the Word. We know that we that we know here, truly, that Naaman was, was he had received the Lord through the sacrifices, obviously, as a Savior. He did. Because we know that through Exodus 12, 1-13 through 13, and Exodus the 14th chapter, the Passover and then the passage through the Red Sea which are typical of Christ dying for us. But until we go through the Jordan and the Jordan is us accepting our death with him and until we do, we just experience what? Leprosy and sin. Now, See the story, Naaman, uh, uh, Elijah is acting under the direction of God. And, he's, and so he told this man, he told this man, Naaman, what to do. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. That's completion. That's the experiential completion and understanding the truth that we actually died with him. He not only died for us and paid for our sins, but for us to experience the cleansing of all sin and leprosy, You know, we have to pass through the Jordan. And the Jordan, in that particular place, the Jordan there is what? It's us accepting our death. This is what he's teaching him here. This is what God is teaching us here. This is what he needs to teach people here and to teach us continually. All of us here. And then he says, your flesh will come again to you and you will be clean. God gave a promise to my wife, Jean, in terms of my health, and it brought that back to my memory. She told me, she said, she said, honey, God told me in, in my prayers for you and your health, he said, he gave me Job 20, he, he gave me Job 33, And verse 25, his flesh will be fresher than a child, and he will return to the days of his youth. (laughs) This is what he's telling us. This is what he's teaching us. He said again to Naaman here in in 2 Kings 5 and verse 10, and do with this, go to the Jordan, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will come again to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was wroth. Interesting. God gave him the word. God spoke the word through his prophet. He spoke it. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought, in other words, I wanted God to do it this way. And God didn't do it that way, He did it another way. I thought, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and put his hand over me, up and down, over the place and recover the leper. I thought that's the way he would do it. Did you ever think that God would do certain things a certain way? Did you ever think that and then it wasn't? Did you ever get angry? (laughs) Did you get angry at the prophet? (laughs) Oh, it's very interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that they would do that. Then he said, Are not a or nor a manner as it is, and far par rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Why are you telling me to do it this way in this in this Jordan River? There's many other places that are better. Many other places I could get this get healing. And that would be my choice. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> oh boy. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He went away angry. Who does that guy think he is to tell me what to do and where to do it? Tense anger. And his servants came near. This is where we need others to encourage us. And his servants came near, and that's what God wants, encouragement in Burleson. I, I know that. Because the servant, without the message, without the thought of God, can be the source of encouragement? Absolutely not. And his servants came near, in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Kings 5, and spoke unto him, saying, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Some marvelous big thing? Well, how much better then when he said to you, wash and be clean. This is simple. Do it. Trust God. Then, see, he had others to encourage him. That's what we need to do with each other. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. See, it's God's way. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I beseech you, take a blessing of your servant. I want to pay you for something that God did. Watch this. But he said, As the Lord lives... Before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He refused. There is giving, but it's giving to the Lord. There's no question about that. And that's not the subject at all today. I just want us to see what God has given us so freely. And nothing we could give could ever meet the measure of it. But that when we do, it is a sacrifice of praise in Hebrews thirteen fifteen. And Naaman said, Will there not then, I beseech you, be given to your servants two mules, burdens of earth, for your servant will henceforth offer, offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord. I'm not going to do that. You see? He said In this thing the Lord pardon your servant. That when your master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, he leans on my hand, uh, on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. What's that saying? I knew better. I knew it wasn't right to do, but he was the king, and I was doing it anyway. See, that was the source of leprosy. It was disobedience to what he knew to be true, and he was doing it. That caused the leprosy in him. It's a sin. And he said, I do this. That's like when Christians live in the world. They go to the world. They watch worldly things. They do worldly things. And then leprosy is their experience. Is it their position? No, but what do we do? We confess it, don't we, in 1 John 1, 9. Because the note to do good and not to do it is what? In James 4, 17, it's sin. And when we sin in Psalm 51, verse 4, it's in God's presence. Hidden things, too, by the way. Hidden sin. And Psalm 90, verse 8, is in the light of his countenance. And we may hide it from each other. Can't hide it from God. Can't do it. And so, because it'll come out. The leprosy will come out. It will be revealed. It will be. The sins will be revealed. Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. And then when it finds us out, As believers in Christ, what do we do? We confess it. We just confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us and then to cleanse us from that leprosy, from all that sin, because sin is evil. There's no, in the slightest little way, in Psalm 51 and verse 4. So he said, Naaman is saying uh, to Elijah, Elijah, and this thing, the Lord pardon your servant, that when my master went into his house and remembered to worship there, and he leaned on my hand for support of what he was doing and the evil that I was doing. God forbid that we should support each other in any form of evil, whether it's gossip, whether it's not going to, to God and going to one another and keeping it that way, whatever it is. And I, he said, and I bound myself in the house of Rimen and when i bowed down myself on the house of rimmon the lord pardon your servant in this thing and of course he was cleansed wasn't he and he said unto him go in peace so he departed from him in a little space he departed from from uh naaman departed from elisha now here's verse 20 but gehazi or Gehazi, the servant of elisha elisha the man of god notice he was a man of God, said, Behold, my master spared Naaman, this Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him, and I will take something from him. Just to convince people, and this takes time too, for all of us, but to convince people, Sometimes you have to come in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 14 a third time to convince them that you don't want something from them. You want them. That's what you do. That's what you want. But is Gehazi acting in the place of Elisha? No, he's not no he's not so Gehazi followed after Naaman and when Naaman saw him running after him he got down from his chariot to meet him and he said is all well is this this still peace because he was experiencing that and he said all is well but he said my master has sent me did he? so much bad teaching Our master never sent us to preach the precious, gracious word of God and to do it for money. Never. You can't serve God in money in Matthew 6 and verse 24. You can't do that. There is proper giving without any question, but that giving has to do with God. It's a sacrifice of our praise and thankfulness. In Hebrews 13, uh, verse 15, And he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray, you a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, be content, take two talents and be urged and bound up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them them upon two of his servants and they bear them see he see what did he do he made the word of god to be something that that could be paid for works he's adding works to the freedom of grace the freest you know the freest people the freest people in christ are the one are the, are the biggest givers it's not because it's not because they're paying god back them they're just free from that faults, that old master. They're just completely free from it. <laughs> oh, help us, Lord, of that time with everything. Verse 24, And when he came to the tower, to that secret place, that's the secret place, tower there, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elijah said unto him, Where did you come from? Gehazi, where did you come from? He said, Your your servant didn't go anywhere. Well now he's trying to cover it. I I didn't go anywhere. What? I didn't go anywhere. And he said unto him, Didn't went did my heart go with you when you went after that man? That came down from his chariot I mean did I send you to do that? Did God send me to do that? To exact something from him? Did I did, did God send me to do that? And did I send you to do that? Elijah said unto him, Where did you come from? He said, Well, I went here and there. And he said unto him, again in verse 26, What did my heart go with you when you did this? Was it the heart of God and me? Is it time to receive money? And to receive garments and olives and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants. And there is a time for that. There's no question about that. There's no question about that time. But you don't preach the word and preach grace to get support. You never do that. Because then that's fleshly works. And that's what some people think. And sometimes they think that about a man of God. And in this case, it's not true. Then verse 27. The leprosy therefore of Naaman will cleave unto you and unto your seed forever. And he went out of his his presence a leper white as snow. Isn't that interesting? And the lesson there is we don't mix we don't mix works and fleshly works with grace. And we don't see one another after the flesh. And when the word of God comes from the presence of God, it's not coming to exact something from us. But it's putting us in a proper place to be so thankful. There will be a time for those blessings. But those blessings can only come from grace when we're free of everything else. Then that's when God brings in those unbelievable blessings. And I will tell you what they are. They're seeing him winning people like he won us. We will see him, the way he cleansed us from leprosy, that he can use us to cleanse others from leprosy. You want to talk about blessings? There's no greater blessing than to have that. And to have that in Christ to have that. That's the greatest blessing that there is because the treasure that we have is not material things. It is Christ himself in the vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, and he can reside there because we have been cleansed of leprosy. And when we fall back into sin, we just name it and confess it. We name it and confess it. And is this sorrow godly sorrow Yes, mingled with the joy of bringing him back to a proper place in 2 Corinthians seven ten. Yes, but it's never with regret. It's never with worldly sorrow. But when I go back to the world, the only thing I find is worldly sorrow. And that's why we need each other in local assemblies. And that's why we need to encourage one another because the enemy, as was posted this morning, is so after us. He cannot touch opposition with that leprosy. But where does he go after the Christian in the flesh when they go back and then start knowing themselves after what they're no longer? In this, in this leprosy, in these sins, but thank God we confess them, that they are dealt with, that we have been cleansed. And once again, experiential, experientially, I accept the truth that yes, oh, he did die for me. And, and in Exodus 12, one to 13, and in Exodus the 14th chapter of the Passover there with the red passage of the Red Sea, is is Christ did die for me. And once again, he brings me back to the reality that yes, Oh, yes, I have passed through the Jordan, and I've been cleansed fully seven times, completely cleansed because I've accepted my death with Christ. And how many Christians know this truth? How vital is it? And what a privilege we have to be able, as once cleansed lepers, to be able to have that, to give to others. And we're so grateful and thankful. Thank you, Father, for your word this morning, and thank you for your grace. Your truth. Thank you so very much, God, that everything that you've given us is, is completely the freedom of your grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through absolute dependence upon Christ's person and the work that He's accomplished. We are saved by grace. Furthermore, we're kept by the power of Christ. The 1 first Peter 1:5. 1, But yes, we are saved by grace in Ephesians 2.8. Through faith, absolute dependence. And even that's not of ourselves. He had to cause us to be dependent, to make our will go positive, to receive it. Even that not of yourselves, but is a gift of God because it does away with any boasting in ourselves. It does away with it. And it does away with all works. It does away with it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto the good works. Whose good works? His works in us, manifested in us, manifested in us and through us to others. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus so that we can become these written epistles in 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 6, that we can be known and read of all men, that we can have a word in season to him that's weary, and we can speak in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Our vessel is filled up with salt, seasoned with that grace that, that, that is, he's so given to us, to give not just to ourselves, but to him. And, and then that grace And that grace alone only glorifies Christ in Isaiah 42 and verse 8, glorifies Christ and him alone. And we have the privilege of our thanks as he leads us through grace, not through legalistic tithing. That's old covenant in the freedom of giving. And it's not just finances. It's even more important our time that we just, we're so free, we just give to you give back our, our love because you first loved us. In 1 John 4, 10 and 19, Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you and that we're no longer slaves to the old life, to the leprosy, to the lust patterns, to material things. They no longer, the enemy can no longer use these material things and these lust patterns to keep us in the bondage of, a, of a, an experience of being a leper when we're completely clean. You've cleansed our conscience in Hebrews ten, one and two. And you've cleansed us from dead works. And thank you to the pure. All things are pure. We've been pure. Clean. In Titus 1:15, we no longer have a defiled conscience. Thank you, Lord, for this truth. We have so much to be so thankful for. In all things, in Ephesians 520 and in First Thessalonians 518, for all things Thank you, and we thank you and praise you together. In Jesus' name.